as a father, one of the things I desperately want to see is the love of Jesus uh, experienced and lived by my boys. And that uh, can at times uh, be a challenge. Um, it can be a challenge to take a experience that I have had later in life or take an education that I have had later in life and bring it down to a level that makes sense to a four-year-old or a six-year-old. But there are moments when this does work, when you see it and the wheels kind of are turning in their head and they go, aha, I get it. And I had one of these um, when my son Oliver was building this wood train set. He loves trains and he loves building things and he was totally engaged with this and I was helping him along with it. And I said, Oliver, do you know why you like to build things? Oh, it's fun. Well, no, but do you know why? Well, you are made in the image of God, and God likes to make things. He looked at me. God likes to make things? I said, yes. God made this world. God made you. And you like to make things because you are like God. There are aspects of God's character that are in you. And he went, oh. I was like, wow, that's so amazing to see a child get it. And so I strive to see where are the opportunities to, to share the gospel with my boys. And one of these situations came up again. My boys were fighting. They were bickering. And I had been contemplating this passage that we are looking at today to love one's enemies. And I, and I said, oh, well, boys, like, what's going on here? And I hear the story about who did what. And, and I said, well, what would it look like if we were to bless the other? What? What? Do you, total confusion. And... In their confusion, I thought, you know what? I'm actually pretty confused by this. And I think when we look at the thrust of human history, humanity is pretty confused by this. This is not something that makes sense. It's certainly not something that comes easily, and it is not something that comes to us naturally. Yet it is something that is given to us in the Word of God. So I invite you now to turn to Matthew chapter 5. And I'm going to be reading from chapter 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun shine on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For what if you love those who love you? What reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. This passage comes from the Sermon on the Mount, 
arguably some of the most difficult teaching that Jesus gives us. Some of the most needed teaching that we as a society, we as humanity need to hear. It is difficult. And this particular passage is especially difficult. Yet it is here. It is here that we see the life of God. It is here that we see God come alive, that we see the uniqueness of what Jesus is teaching. So while it is hard, it is also amongst the most rewarding if we are to see it. E. Stanley Jones, he was a missionary to India in the earliest 20th century. If you have not read his books, you need to read them. They were written in the 30s, and they, it's like they were written today. Not just in the way they're written, but in the, the wisdom and insight that's there. And when he comes to this passage, this is what he has to say. If this principle is not workable, then the heart of the sermon does not beat. So that is the principle of loving one's enemy. Then the heart of the whole Sermon on the Mount does not beat. It is a carcass a dead body of doctrine. If it does not beat, it pumps, or if it does beat as it pumps its warm lifeblood into every portion of the Christian soul and of the Christian society, and it makes us live. There is something critically, critically important here, something that we need to hear. There are essentially three ways that humanity can organize itself. Three stages of progress, if you will. The first is the law of the jungle. So you do unto others before they do unto you. As we advance from that, we come to the law of karma. Okay, you've done good to me, I will do good to you. Oh, you do bad to me, I will do bad to you. We hear it in such expressions as what goes around comes around. Our world sees karma as an ideal. It is what uh, we see in an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But there is a law beyond that. There is a law beyond karma. There is a law that we as followers of Jesus are called to, and it is the law of love. In the command to love one's enemies, do we not come face to face with this law? But is it possible? Can Jesus really mean that we are to love our enemies? Is that not an oxymoron to put those two words together, enemy and love? I think it's critical that we look at these two words. Look at these words and see what is it that Jesus is teaching us in picking these two words. Let's look at enemies first. Jesus acknowledges that we have enemies. Notice he doesn't say here, oh, those people who you don't like, or oh, those people who you have a disagreement with. He calls people enemies. This is a strong, strong word. And Jesus 
acknowledges it. Jesus acknowledges it because he himself has enemies. This is not politically correct. We can often be, you know, be encouraged to, well, you just need to understand someone's situation and then you will appreciate them more. Then you will be able to love them. Jesus says, no, these are enemies. These are people who we have a profound disagreement with. Enemies. We are called to love. What's interesting with the word love is in Greek, it comes, uh, it can be expressed in four different ways. And we take those four words in Greek and we pack them all into the one word love. And so what is Jesus saying here when he says to love? What are the four love words that he could have used but picked one? First, there is the Greek word storge, which is the love of family, the love that we will experience between family members. So a a father to their children, um, a mother to their child, uh, this sort of thing. There is eros, the love of beauty, the romantic love uh, that we will experience in marriage. There is philia, the love of mutual respect, the love between people who share something in common. It is from this word that we get the word philosophy, the love of wisdom, or philanthropy, the love of humanity. But these are not the words that Jesus uses here for love. Jesus uses the word agape. It is love that is born of a decision, a decision to like someone. Sorry, I shouldn't say it that way. A love that is born out of a decision, a love that is born out of willing the goodwill of another. Jesus recognizes that we have enemies, and if we are going to love them, if we are going to agape love them, it is going to come because of a choice. Now, why? are we to do this? As a father, one of my favorite lines with my children is, because I said so. Doesn't get received very well. And so why are we to obey Jesus' words here? Well, because he said so. Well, perhaps, but Jesus doesn't leave us there. Jesus does not simply rely upon his authority for the reason why we are to agape love our enemies. He goes beyond that. Consider earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, where we hear Jesus proclaimed that blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons and daughters of God. It is here in this passage that we learn what actually makes people peacemakers. We will be peacemakers when we love our enemies. We will be like God. This is what God does. He sends his goodness, that is his rain, his sunshine, to the good and the bad alike. He is indiscriminate in what he does. 
When we love our enemies, it is like father, like son, like parent, like child. This is what God does. And when we do that, we are not only peacemakers, but we are children of God. We are drawn into the inner relationship of who God is. Love for those who love us is the way of the world. There is nothing revolutionary about it. In fact, that comes quite naturally. It is the law of karma. It is the law of love that makes Christians different. Dale Berner writes these words, What makes a Christian saltily different and useful in the meat of this world is the breaking of the world code of love for love, good for good, evil for evil. It is Christians' countergrain, countercultural love of the undeserving, the unloving, and even the positively hostile that makes them recognizably Christian. They will know that we are Christians by our love. By our love for enemies, for those who we disagree most profoundly with. When we love this way, we love with the love of the Father. How? How in the world are we possibly supposed to? To do this, how do we make this choice to will the goodwill of another? Fortunately, Jesus is very specific here. He says, Pray for those who persecute you, bring the oppressor into the very presence of God. This is not only good for the person who is our enemy, but it is good for us. It is good because it helps us to see that as humanity, we all share a common situation. It helps us to see these enemies in a new light. Were we not, or are we not all enemies of God? And when we bring our enemies into the presence of God, we see ourselves as equals with them. This is not something that's easy to do. I challenge you, next time you're having an argument or a disagreement with your spouse or family member, try praying for them. It's hard, but it is possible. A few years ago, there was an anti-bullying campaign and they took pictures of people who were bullied and they put the, the taunting names that they had been called. So there were these pictures with words like loser or freak or idiot put in front of them. But the twist was it wasn't a picture of them as a 15-year-old, a 30-year-old, or a 50-year-old. It was a picture of them as a 3-year-old, a newborn, a six-year-old. It was 
challenging people to see people as innocent, to see people as undeserving of these remarks. It was challenging. What does it look like if we had a similar campaign for our enemies? What does it look like to take a picture of a small child and put terrorist in front of it? What does it look like to have a picture of a small child and put rapist on it? Our failure to live out this command to love our enemies is written all over history. Consider the events of September 11, 2001. The response to this atrocity, I would argue, has fallen somewhere between the law of the jungle and the law of karma. We've got now almost 15 years showing us what that is going to get us. There is this never-ending echo bouncing back and forth of hostility, brokenness, vengeance. The law of love is difficult, difficult to find, and it certainly doesn't come naturally. I'm not a big fan of bumper sticker Christianity, but I'm sure you've all seen the God bless our troops, God bless America, and absolutely, God bless our troops and God bless America. But I have only ever once seen a bumper sticker that said, God bless our enemies. What would it look like if instead of all of those God bless our troops bumper stickers out there, people were plastering God bless our enemy bumper stickers? That would be countercultural. That would be different. If you're user, a few years ago, before he was prime minister, Justin Trudeau was ridiculed for his response to the Boston uh, Marathon bombings. He said, we need to look at the root causes of terrorism. I thought that was one of the most intelligent things I have ever heard. We most definitely need to look at the root causes of what has brought us to where we are right now. I suspect, though, that what he meant was to look at issues of inequality, poverty, lack of opportunity that will give rise to terrorism. And certainly there is a place for that. But I think the root cause of what we are seeing in our communities rests not so much in inequality, poverty, and lack of opportunity, which it does, but rather in our failure to repay evil with good. And instead, our tendency to meet evil with evil. The temptation is to use the weapons of the wrongdoer and fight them on their level. We have to get out of this. 
We need to get out of fighting at that level, and we need to fight at an entirely different level with an entirely different set of weapons. It's not easy. But it's what Jesus is teaching us. G.K. Chesterton said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and not tried. I think love of enemies is like that. It's not that it's been tried out and, oh, that didn't work. It's been recognized as difficult and not tried. So what are the examples? What are the examples where this has been lived out that we can look at and we can go, wow, this works. It is given to us in Jesus himself. Jesus does not just give us platitudes. He does not just give us doctrine. He lives this out in his life. In Romans 5, we read, While we were enemies of God, God reconciled us to himself through his Son. Jesus did not just talk about loving enemies. He did it. He is the ultimate peacemaker. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is arrested, we read of Peter cutting off one of the soldier's ears with a sword. I don't know how someone just cuts off an ear with a sword. I mean, this is going to be some pretty traumatic injury to the side of someone's head. What is Jesus' response in that? Put that away. Those are not the weapons we use. And what does he do? He blesses. He brings healing. He brings restoration. This moment where Jesus knows what's coming, someone comes to his aid, he says, not that way. That is not how we do this. But it's not just there. Just through the whole process that Jesus exhibits this example of loving one's enemies. What are his words on the cross? You can imagine those nails being driven through his wrists. He is praying. He taught us to pray for those who persecute us. In the moment that a nail is being driven through his wrist, his words are, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Jesus resists the law of the jungle. Jesus resists the law of karma. And he lives dies and raises from the dead by the law of love. He does not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, he repays evil with blessing. This way of love is desperately, desperately needed. It is needed in our personal relationships with friends 
It's needed in our relationship with family. It's needed in our relationships with coworkers. It's needed between organizations, and it's needed between nations. Jesus' word not only informs us, it not only tells us things about God, but it actually performs. It actually empowers us to do the things it asks us to do. It is active if we are willing to surrender to it. It is active in us if we allow it to be. By agape loving those who are most difficult to love, we are transformed. Our enemy is transformed. And our world is transformed. May God have the glory. Amen.